WHYY and Billy Penn, this is Hidden Season, your Friday edition of Philadelphia Phillies content. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Nothing makes baseball seem closer than frantically dispatched winter weather advisories from your <laughs> local meteorologist. And yes, today... The snow has fallen nonstop, um, not really piling up, but still another reminder that we can say pitchers and catchers report in, you know, 20 some days at this point still seems pretty far away. And then also that day comes and you're like, oh, right, that's just some guys showing up for work. That's not really actually any kind of baseball you get to watch. It's just it's it's a sign in sheet. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are in the midst of winter. With so much baseball news to talk about, Liz, mm. I, I saw uh, Cespedes Family Barbecue, that account tweeted out today that, like, at this point, maybe last year, um, there were, like, three of the top 50 free agents still remaining. And now, in this, this offseason, there's upwards of, must have been, like, 20, 25, uh. and more, <laughs> more than yeah. they could fit in the tweet. So it's uh it's been that kind of winter to this point. So uh yeah, I figured there are little blips of Phillies notes to discuss, so I figured we could uh get some of those out there. Uh but Liz, you know, around this date in 2012, obviously you remember Cole Hamels and the Phillies came to terms on a $15 million one-year contract. It was 3 years after Around this time, Cole Hamels had agreed to a 3-year contract with the Phillies valued at 20 and a half million dollars. That uh, that deal from 2012 is the it was the highest amount offered to an arbitration eligible player at that point. I know you were going to bring this all up, but uh, of course, I, just, I, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> on this day, 90 years ago, Commissioner Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis denied Ooh. shoeless Joe Jackson's appeal for reinstatement following the Black Sox scandal in the 1919 World Series. And yes, Liz, yes, I was getting to it. On this day in 1971. Mid-1990s Phillies starter Jeff Juden was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Juden was a six foot eight, 23-year-old when he started throwing for the Phillies in 1994. And this legal giant in his debut had a 3-0 lead in the first inning. He then walked the first three Reds he faced, then started giving up base hits, allowing both individual and double steals. <laughs> then he balked in a run. He threw 16 pitches before batter took a swing at one. The Phillies were down 4-3 to three at the end of the first, and Jim Fergosi was ready to bite clean through his own fist by the time they'd lost this game 7-5. to five. Liz, what's the worst Phillies debut you can remember? Oh, crap. That's a... That's a tough one. I don't actually know if I the remember is, any off the top of my head. Th there's an objective, objectively correct answer to this, I think. And what still, is it? holds true and it's zach eflin zach oh, eflin had yeah. what is what he, is typically he popped up in my head first and like no that can't be right he, he typically it, it's considered like the worst debut in major league history i'm pretty sure game <laughs> score wise you know it's been commodified as far as like game score it was like the worst game score um anyone had ever had in a debut it was on june 14th phillies blue jays yeah you allowed um Looks like nine runs in the first three innings, I think. Oh. Yeah, nine oh. runs, eight of them earned. He gave up nine hits, walked three. 
Uh, yeah, just a brutal, brutal day for Zach Eflin. That was the first one that came to mind for me. Uh, just give up, um, what is that, three home runs? Three home Yeah, so it wasn't like an endless assault. It was just like, boy, he, he left. He was That was just terrible. It was just terrible. But also, Roy Oswalt, I felt like I remembered in his Phillies debut, I looked it up, he allowed seven hits, two walks, and five runs in six innings. And so I'm sure people who were jacked up about that signing were a little disappointed that day. And Jake Arrieta. That was another one. He didn't oh. do so hot in his At debut any point. either. <laughs> really? Yeah, and it, it was all uphill from there. <laughs> you know, he allowed a uh, a home run in the second against the second battery face ever <laughs> as a Phillies pitcher to Miguel Rojas, famed power threat Miguel Rojas, success of the Miami Marlins, successful <laughs> signing. That was quite a move. Congratulations, Zach Klintak. Holy hey, you crap, know, that was terrible. We were all in favor of it. I know we were. He was just sitting there. We were all hungry. We were all starving. We were all thirsty. I believe they had, did they have Harper? No. No, they didn't have Harper Before Harper. Okay. But things were starting to. Remember, Arietta did a video of him sweeping in a pair of, like in a, in a pair of Speedos or something. Right. Yeah. He's, he's really into that. Or he was at one point, but who cares? Yes, that's now? okay. So it's 2018. That's right. He was just sitting there. The Phillies needed pitching. He was not on the total decline yet, and it was just like, yeah, there's a we can afford this. Let's let's get a pitcher. Let's get us some starting pitching. And they got Jake Arrieta. Gave up a home run to Miguel Rojas, and it was just it was just a the the Jake Arrieta experience after that. The one we we hold so dear to our mm. hearts now. But fortunately, we don't have to talk about any of these acquisitions or debuts because not only are the Phillies not playing baseball, they're also not acquiring anyone at the moment. (laughs) However, there was one little blip of a rumor this morning that people jumped on and uh, it, it got all the... You know, the blog machines started turning again. People started tweeting uh, about this and using it as a jumping off point. Um, this really isn't no, any surprise. I think this is just further further confirmation that the Phillies are interested in this player that uh, we've seen throughout the winter. And that would be Robert Stevenson, relief pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays in 2023. According to John Morosi, the Phillies are, quote, among the clubs with interest in Stevenson. Exciting. Yes, the rumor we have all jumped on is it's not even like a rumor about the Phillies. They're just one of the other teams involved. They're in the supporting cast of a tweet about Robert Stevenson. (laughs) Uh, I do like the idea of a Robert Stevenson ad. He's considered like 1B on the free agent relief market if if Josh Hader is considered number one. Um, I don't think anyone... Nobody's saying the Phillies are, are hot on Josh Hader's tail, but it does sound like they had some interest in hard-throwing righties. Uh, and, you know, there was there's Robert Stevenson, right, at the, at the top of the free agent list. Jordan Hicks uh, is now off the market, but Stevenson is expected to get a similar deal to Hicks, who signed with the Giants earlier this month for four years and $44 million. MLB trade rumors had Stevenson signing a four-year, $36 million deal uh, they projected. He's going to be 31. He hasn't had a full career track record of success as he put up some bulbous numbers as he was coming up through the Reds organization, stumbled through Colorado and Pittsburgh, and finally found his fastball pitching for, you guessed it, the Tampa Bay Rays. 
He mostly throws a cutter, a slider, and a four-seamer. The cutter is supposed to have been what the Rays had him develop before he broke out last year with a 235 ERA, over 42 appearances. But some experts believe he's just throwing his slider a little harder and calling it a cutter. <laughs> I saw someone pointing out that he struggles against lefties, so I looked that up, and last year, right-handed batters hit 143 off him, and lefties hit 206. So if that's struggling with lefties, I will take it. The yeah. Phillies have been said to be after wow. a hard-throwing righty, and, well, with like I said, with Hicks off the board, Stevenson's it. The Yankees, Mets, and Dodgers are all said to be in pursuit as well. Liz, does Stevenson fit the mold of a replacement for Craig Kimbrell, which I know the Phillies have said uh, extending Zach Wheeler is their priority, but as far as things to do for next year, replacing Craig Kimbrell is pretty much the top acquisition they kind of have to take care of. So if it were to be Stevenson in this role, would you feel good about getting an alert on your phone saying the Phillies have acquired Robert Stevenson? Um, I wouldn't feel bad, I guess. Um, you know, you'd the get, fact gasp that... and drop your phone, I assume. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. Uh, last last year, he made those. He he. The Rays fixed him after he spent a bit of time just sucking, sucking out loud with the Pirates, and so that concerns me. That he was bad as recently as last season. Hey, like, you know, bad, Jose bad. Alvarado came from the Rays, and he's a Phillies success story. The Rays were like, no, we're, we don't see any value in holding on to this guy anymore. Phillies picked him up. Look what happened. I'm just saying when the Rays are involved, there's all kinds of assumptions and preconceived notions typically at play. If you're the team on the receiving end of a deal with the Rays, it's easy to feel like you're the one who's going to lose out on that deal because they know something you don't. If you're dealing, if a player is going to the Rays, everyone assumes, oh, they saw something that they think they can fix because they have all these brilliant people and brilliant development strategies and zero World Series titles. But uh, <laughs> the Phillies are a smarter organization, which we're going to touch on a little later. The Phillies are a smarter organization these days. They are no longer in dead last when it comes to data and analysis and utilizing those tools in a productive manner. And that trickles into their pitching lab where they have worked with pitchers. They they now identify pitchers they think um, they can offer adjustments to or improve the performance of. Uh, so, you know, if they've, if they've targeted somebody that, you know, they, they can't be that concerned that he's going to fall back into his old patterns. Uh, but you're right. There is some inconsistency in his history. He's definitely benefiting from his 2023 season, which was stellar with the Rays. I don't think being away from the Rays is necessarily going to ruin that, but it is something you definitely think about when you're looking at his historical uh, statistics. Would would signing Stevenson, do you feel, soothe the nerves of Phillies fans who have been very ravenous for this team to make a move? Do you think they would scratch that itch for people? Yeah, I mean, in that it's a move. <laughs> it's a move that can be made, and that's what everyone wants. It would fill a hole. It wouldn't be a bad signing. Like, I, I mean, I think we're all just sort of waiting for them to put the last piece of the puzzle in place. And this is kind of it. So get to what it. Ab what about the inverse of this? If you found out Robert Stevenson was signing with the Dodgers, uh, and I'm saying the Dodgers because the Mets are in on him, but they're not really a National League contender in 2025. So let's say another contending team winds up scooping Robert Stevenson up. It's the relief market. All teams are looking for relief help. You never know when a rando is going to slip in there and scoop up the guy you've had your eye on. 
So would this be a big loss for the Phillies? Because, yeah, there are other relief arms out there, but Phillies have every right and desire to go after the top of the class. And if they have moved past Josh Hader, then Stevenson's kind of up there right now. I mean, so if you got word that he was going to another NL contender, would that be bad news for the Phillies? Probably, yeah. They sh- this this guy like profiles perfectly as a guy they should sign, kind of because of his inconsistent history. Mm. They, I mean, he'll come at a at a slightly lesser price than a guy like Hater. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, but there's also something to the idea that, and I saw Robert Orr of Baseball Perspectives bring this up today that the Phillies have been very fortunate or fortunate and good at you know that not it wasn't all luck or anything identifying fringe fringier arms to fill important roles in the bullpen i feel like jeff hoffman um is a good example of that where guys have come out and and wound up playing pretty key roles that maybe weren't expected to be as effective as they were and if that is now the case with the phillies organizationally do they even need to go out and give $35, $40 million to a Robert Stevenson when they could have the answer to their problems among the, let's say, 15 non-roster invitees we heard uh, about yesterday? I mean, I, I don't want to count on that. Do you? Do you want to put all your well, eggs I mean, that's in the, the NRI thing. basket? That, that's the, no, I mean, not not that dramatically, but if you're the Phillies and you're like, look, the Times have changed. This this franchise is no longer a joke when it comes to player development uh, or when it comes to you know, acquiring guys that they've noticed something about. We hear this with the hitting, the hitting side all the time. That Kevin Long sees, like, oh, I know what Brandon Marsh is doing wrong in Anaheim. If you acquire him, I'm going to be able to help him make adjustments to make him a more effective hitter. We've seen that plenty of times. We can see we've we have started to see it on the pitching side as well. I'm just saying, are you putting a little more trust in your organization so that you don't have to spend the money there and you can spend it elsewhere? Yes, I mean that is true. I guess I'm just sort of I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still gun shy when it comes to relying on the Phillies and their their skills and whatnot uh, overall to to do that and to for that to be their plan it's a tough thing to shake because just why not sign a guy it's not like they can't afford to right and when you say we could spend the money somewhere else yeah there's always somewhere else to spend that money but it does feel like again as far as acquisitions go this is a role the phillies are looking to fill this year why not spend the money here you're absolutely right and you're not gonna then, then you're just waiting till spring training to see like if is someone going to step up who you weren't expecting to like that is something of a gamble and while the Phillies have strengthened their organization in some cases and perhaps deserve the chance to gamble on themselves or at least it's a little less laughable that they would but it, it is also easy to have like first thought let's say all the effective relievers come off the board and the Phillies wind up signing none of them the fan reaction would not be, well, I now trust this organization to provide in-house answers to questions mm. like, we need more late-inning relief help. Yeah, I, I think in general, your response would probably still be the most common one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, then 
the other thing, like I said, they they might be able to find a late reliever among a crop of uh, of, of lesser known players. And wouldn't you know it, they just invited fifteen more lesser known players to spring training. Les, have you gotten your inv- invitation to Philly spring training? No, and I'm just waiting eagerly by the mailbox every day. Where's my invitation? Snow piling up on the mailbox and on <laughs> Liz's head as she just waits and waits for the ornately calligraphied invitation that everyone receives to or come on down to Did they switch to Evite? Did they switch to an <laughs> online invitation system? Should I look for something from Minted? Do they have on, their own website? Is this on Eventbrite? Eventbrite. Is, is one of those. <laughs> Uh, that'd be really funny if the Phillies <laughs> scheduled spring training as an event bright event thing where you yes. have to go and RSVP. Well, uh, did you take a look at the list of the 15 NRIs that were published yesterday announcing that the Phillies would be bringing um, a bunch of these guys down to spring training? Any names pop out to you? Um, did Scott? I think Scott Kingery got an invitation, and that always... That Indeed. always piques my interest. We shall see. We'll get to him. Uh, I saved him for last because wouldn't you know it, I have notes on every one oh, of the non-roster invitees. my God. And get this, not all of them are interesting. So no, buckle really, your seatbelts. <laughs> it's mid-January and this is a baseball podcast. <laughs> Well, Mick you know, Abel and, are, are you going to make up any facts? Do I have to guess? No, no, none of this is made up. I okay. can say that for certainty. Not by me, anyway. If um, you know, reference materials are have started just making things up about baseball players, then I have fallen victim to that. But no, none of this is made up. Uh, and there are some names you may recognize. Not many, but some <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> And I don't just mean because some of them sound like the name of somebody you might know from, like, your neighborhood or a college you graduated from. I mean, you know, <laughs> as baseball players. Here's two of the most recognizable names already. Mick Abel and Griff McGarry. Obviously, we're familiar with them. Top Phillies prospects. Both pitchers. Part of that triumvirate of top pitching prospects the Phillies had going into 2023 that they just did not have by uh, by the beginning of 2023, really, with Andrew Painter missing the entire season uh, due to injury, McAble falling off, and Griff McGarry really falling off and mm-hmm. being viewed more as a relief prospect than a starting prospect at this point. Uh, though I will say, Abel is projected to have a comeback year, like Andrew Painter, who remained at the top of many outlets' top prospect lists for the Phillies, despite not throwing a single pitch in 2023. Uh, McAble's standing really hasn't been shaken either. He, he still remains in like the top three, top four Phillies prospects by most outlets. Fangraph said Abel still has most all of the ingredients needed to be an impact starter. He just isn't totally baked yet. So a little more fine tuning in the minor leagues and some experts will be convinced that he is ready to pitch in the majors. So that would be a welcome development, certainly, but for now, after how last year went, I'm I'm willing to just stay quiet on Painter, Abel, and McGarry, and just kind of yeah. see what happens. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just hold on. Uh huh. Let's just hold on. <laughs> uh, Ryan Burr, 
is next. A 29-year-old right-handed pitcher. He throws a cutter, four-seamer combo. He was said to need to, to be more aggressive attacking hitters when he was a Diamondbacks prospect in 2016. They drafted him in the fifth round in 2015, traded him in August 2017 for international bonus money, and he's been bouncing around Major League bullpens ever since. As a college player, Ryan Burr was on the National Collegiate Team in 2013, and against Cuba, he allowed the tying run to score in a game the U.S. ultimately won in extras. He was so upset about this, even though they did win the game, uh, and so eager to redeem himself that uh, I don't think they used him in the next game, but the game after that, um, they were playing Cuba again. He was so anxious, he started calling his manager from the bullpen to let him know he was ready to go, he was good to go. You know, just just let me know if you need me. I'm I'm right here. Mm-hmm. You know, put me in the game if you want. It'd be t- be totally fine if you did. Uh, and they did let him come in, face the last three hitters. He got a one, two, three, and his last four pitches registered as some of the fa- some of the fastest he'd thrown of the tournament, <laughs> coming in at 96, 95, 96, and 96. He was all kinds of worked up. Ooh, uh, boy, but yeah, I love it. He is now 29. He will be headed down to Clearwater. Uh, Tyler McKay, 25-year-old Phillies 2018 draft pick who played for Jersey Shore, Reading, and Lehigh Valley since 2022. Uh, with 50 games at Reading last year, he seemed to adjust to AAA once he went from Reading to Lehigh pretty well. 267 ERA in 23 games with 24 strikeouts and 19 walks. And I'll just say it, model good looks. You know, Tyler, it's a gift and a curse, bud. But yeah, when you, when you got them, you got them. Now, if you were worried we were out of guys named Tyler, <laughs> oh my God, we as a society will never run out of guys named Tyler. Tyler Phillips, 26-year-old right-handed pitcher, okay fastball and slider, plus changeup that he disguises as a fastball. Love when guys can do that. Rangers drafted him in 2015. They designated him for assignment in 2021. The Phillies scooped him up. Uh, Phillips was then listed on Baseball America's best tools list in 2019 they said he had the best control of any pitcher in the minor leagues all right really that's saying something uh looks like he appeared in only one game for jersey shore uh, and four for redding last year and the phillies dfa'd him and released him that september but now he's back (laughs) that happens sometimes Uh, Jose Ruiz, right-handed pitcher, went from the White Sox to the Diamondbacks this past April for cash considerations. He elected free agency in November. He throws a curveball, four-seamer, sinker, and change. And he he also walks a lot of batters. <laughs> <laughs> he had a, uh, had a uh, uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio just uh, over two, which is uh, way too low <laughs> for, for that statistic. You want to see that. Typically be much higher, uh, but hopefully, you know, gets that control under. Maybe you can have a conversation with 2019 Best Control in the Minor Leagues Award winner, Tyler Phillips. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's actually an award. I think they just kind of say it, put it in the magazine. Uh, Nick Snyder, 23-year-old, long-haired lefty. Need some more of those, I feel. You know, you need, you need a couple of crazy long-haired guys. Matt Strom's doing a lot of heavy lifting out of the Phillies bullpen right now. And, uh, you know, Noah Syndergaard... Didn't really have the intensity. Strom at least has the intensity I, I want to see from like a long-haired guy. Uh, but, you know, it's always good to restock the cabinet, I feel. And Nick Snyder, he can do just that. Originally drafted by Arizona in 2019 in the same class as Corbin Carroll. Pitched for their high-A farm team. Got released at the end of last March. Hey, he's from Marlton, New Jersey. How about hey. that? 
hometown boy, we're going to say. <laughs> sure. Aramis Garcia, 31-year-old catcher, rated as having the best defensive tools in the Giants minor league system in 2018. He caught a little for the A's in 2021 and the Reds in 2022. He's considered a Red Spring training legend because he posted a 1283 OPS in the Cactus League in 2022. My God. <laughs> no. Who was it the Phillies had who, who had an absolutely monster spring? It wasn't Jake Fox. It was Franco. Or, Remember? Oh, Franco was good in the spring. That's right. Yeah. Jake Fox had a great spring for the Orioles. But then the, did the Phillies sign him for a spring? They they might have. Maybe that's why that's in my head. Maybe. Yeah. Those guys. They love that Florida air. And mm-hmm. then they come back up north. and Like, hey, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Put on your long sleeves and your little head, little red head cover thing. And get ready to play baseball the way it was meant to be played. In multiple layers. Yes. In a wool uniform. <laughs> uh, that's um, That was Aramis Garcia. He's one of three catchers who are on this NRI list. Cody Roberts is another. He is a 27-year-old catcher. He's considered a very flexible and athletic backstop whose defensive skills were considered advanced when he was drafted out of UNC in 2017, he'd been catching guys who were routinely throwing 90 plus heat from that staff. So he was considered maybe even a little more polished and developed as far as being a major league catcher goes. Cause he'd already been catching guys who were throwing with major league levels of velocity. Wow. Uh, the Marlins took him that year. He didn't sign the Orioles drafted him the next year and he played in their system before being claimed off waivers by the Phillies. He played about half a season in Reading last year. Um, yeah, pedestrian hitting numbers, but again, this is um, this is one of those catchers who's yeah, he's kind of got a backup catcher profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one of those guys. Uh, next one, William Simonit. He is 27. He is a catcher. He played for Oakland's Double A team last year. Iron Pigs drafted him in December, I believe. He is a free agent signing. Doesn't look like he was drafted by anyone. Uh, Nick Podcool, 26 years old, infielder, drafted by Toronto in 2018, struggled in Buffalo in 2022, signed with the Phillies and changed his mechanics at the plate to develop more of a power stroke. He was hit in the face with a pitch this past July. Yeah, that was that was brutal. He was playing for Lehigh at the time, and they put him on the full season injured list in early August after after the uh, pitch. He was roommates with Matt Veerling at Notre Dame. I should have said that first. Now it sounds like I'm saying... He got hit in the face, and as a result, he was roommates with Matt Beeling <laughs> at Notre Dame. That was no, that's not the case. Uh, but yeah, he'll be he'll be having some uh, something of a comeback in 2022 or 2024 after getting hit in the face, unfortunately, in July last year. Carlos De La Cruz, 24, mid-hitting outfielder who played for Reading last year. He's currently playing in the Dominican Winter League, where he is one for six with four strikeouts. All right, that that is. <laughs> That is the statistic uh, in which he led the Reading Fightins last year with oh. 160 strikeouts in 582 plate appearances. Oh, we already have a guy like that. We have several guys like that. Let's move on. That was, that was going to say, this guy's going to fit right in. <laughs> he gets it. Yeah, what is hitting if not swinging at just as hard as everything, you can? Everything. Literally everything as hard as you can. Is there oh, my a God. Bird? Oh, God. He's throwing the baseball right to me. I better, I better uh, swing as hard as humanly possible. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll, it's like you still haven't play. completely shaken off the defense mechanism of having something thrown at you. <laughs> oh no! 
And then there's Matt Kroon, 27-year-old infielder, outfielder. He hit 262 with a 701 OPS in the Arizona Fall League this year, playing with the other Phillies prospects. I believe there were nine of them on the Scottsdale Scorpions this year. Uh, he hit only one home run, but he crushed it 413 feet, was 100 miles an hour off the bat. He played a teeny bit for Jersey Shore during the regular season, a bunch for Redding and a little for Lehigh, hitting 319 at Double A over 79 games and 381 in 15 games for the Iron Pigs. Well. So, limited sample size, but one of those rare cases of a guy getting to the next level and getting significantly better statistically. Wow! <laughs> yeah. How often does that when, happen? Yeah, I know. <laughs> when drafted in 2015. He was said to have good instincts and a strong arm for third base, but he swung and missed too much at the plate. Didn't seem to be much of an issue for him last season. He only struck out 66 times in 344 plate appearances. Whoa. Not bad. Those are good numbers. Those are numbers I like. Yeah, that guy's not going to fit in at all. No. Alternatively. Projective (laughs) hitting? What? Hey, pal, I saw you taking some pitches up there, and I'm just telling you, we don't do that around we, here. We don't right? do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Cal Stevenson, 27-year-old center fielder, originally drafted by the Dodgers, claimed off waivers by the Phillies in May. He's been bouncing around the minors since 2016. He is said to have great plate discipline and does not strike out much. Again, clubhouse cancer. Obviously. I know. <laughs> uh, for- for three different AAA teams last year, he hit 255 with an 825 OPS. For Lehigh, he hit 120 from April to July, made an adjustment, found another gear, and and hit 381 with a 1081 <laughs> OPS from July 5th to the end of the Iron Pig season. There we go. All right. I he, love that. He only struck out 29 times in that span, Ooh. walking 30, 34 times and scoring 32 runs. He scored more runs than he had strikeouts that is that's impressive that's not nothing uh and finally hello scott kingery our boy it was written by one delaware county times columnist this past november that the kingery era is over in philadelphia the phillies declined their 2024 options on kingery taking a one million dollar buyout to avoid paying the former top prospect and current almost 30 year old kingery 13 million dollars so what happened a change of heart no per tim kelly of phillies nation kingery remains in the organization on the final year of his original minor league contract signed with the club back in 2015 so this will be his last year, not like last year, which the which was the last year until this year. Makes sense? Great. Liz, how excited are you to see Scott Kingery back at spring training? I mean, I never stop hoping that Kingery's going to put it together. I get, you know, hope springs eternal. He's always the guy that should have worked out and then just didn't. Uh, and I, you know, I kind of want to blame the, the Phillies at the time for that they they were not good at what they did they was bad and uh he ended up being a a victim of that so i mean i'm excited to see if he can pull something together in his final year uh with the club it would be nice yeah that was a confusing time um the Matt Klintak front office locked up Kingery. I remember them saying, oh, he forced our hand. We're signing him to this extension, even though he's never played in the minors. And you were like, we've talked about this before. I remember thinking like, okay, I 
you know, obviously I'm not a major league talent evaluator. I haven't been watching this kid play every day. I guess they're seeing something, and this is pretty unprecedented for this organization to offer a deal like this. So this might really be something special here. You know, I definitely, I was as crazy as it sounds. I was thinking, like, did they just accidentally find their Mike Trout or something? Like this yeah. is this feels like a seismic it. deal. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, things went the way they went. The Phillies, I think this is what you were hinting at. The Phillies didn't really, th- th- there wasn't a lot of cohesion among their um, development, uh, player development uh, philosophies. Yes, at the time, exactly. And I think Kingery got kind of thrown around by that. He had uh, health issues, injuries as well that didn't help him back and forth between the minors and the majors didn't help him. I mean, you know, there's a lot that could have been done better, but end of the day, the result is that this deal that he signed feels like it was for a different player almost. So I'm with you. I mean, can you let's, if we let ourselves dream here a bit, can you see Scott Kingery, 30 year old Scott Kingery, not the fresh faced youngin who signed the biggest deal of his life a mere six years ago. Uh, no, I'm sorry, almost 10 years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, let's go back to when it was six years ago, man. Jeez. Is it is it crazy to think Scott Kingery makes any kind of impact on the Phillies Major League roster this year? It's not crazy. Anything could happen. We've seen it happen. We've seen anything happen, you know? I think it would be nice if if he could. I don't necessarily think it will happen. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the Phillies middle infield is is pretty well stocked. And I don't think the Scott Kingery is an outfielder now experiment is necessarily ongoing. Um, So certainly, uh, you know, if you're talking about starters, he's I don't think anywhere near anything like that. It's more like, can he play any kind of role for this team? And. Yeah, I mean, I think it's entirely possible. I mean, they invited him to spring training for more than just because he was around. You know, they they, they feel they feel like there is at least a non-zero chance that they're going to see something that's that at least makes him like. What I think happens is he goes back to he goes to minor league camp uh, eventually, a couple weeks into spring training, and that is potentially just an option if you know enough goes wrong. He can he can pop up for a bit on the on the major league squad, but I don't think his development is being prioritized in, in any way at this point, obviously. The Phillies again declined their option on him last year, so uh, I don't and that was he, his deal was the product of the previous front office as well. So there's I think also a lack of attachment there that perhaps was there back when Clentac and McPhail were running things. Or Clentac at least. I don't think McPhail was attached to anyone. So yeah, I would I would love to see he that. Doesn't know where he was half the time. <laughs> I would love to see that story have a fairy tale ending. We shall see. But for now, it was more just like, oh wow, Scott Kingery's on this list. Is it? Are they inviting him, or has he just not left? Like, let's. <laughs> let's... <laughs> was he just hiding out in Clearwater the whole the whole off season? <laughs> uh, the Phillies have plenty of expected success from their big names. But they need to get help from unexpected places, too. Every playoff team does. Every World Series caliber or World Series winning team has guys who step up, who play small roles in a big way. Liz, based on that Liz list I just read you, with the starters pretty much locked in and the jobs that are available not really being the premier ones, are the jobs that guys like this would potentially fill more important this season? Since we know what to expect from from your Schwabers and your Harpers and your Turners and 
and your Castellanos and your Real Mutos. I mean, this team is full of famous baseball players and established veterans and all-stars. But it's these other guys who you don't know who are who, who wind up playing pivotal roles. You know, not every night, but... But, you know, you look back over the last three months and suddenly you're like, hey, Jeff Hoffman has been really limiting the amount of runners on base. This is very helpful for the Phillies. Uh, does that does that play a bigger role now since the stars are kind of set? I mean, if the Phillies, if the uh, the loudest members of the Phillies online fan base are any indication, yes, because that's all they've been focusing on this offseason, really. You know, they locked down Aaron, uh, Aaron Nola pretty early. So that's that's the only thing that's left for us to focus on. It's the only thing that's left for them to focus on. And that's because it is a and it's not just a big deal, it becomes a big deal because it is the only thing left. It, it is very important. But you know, I don't think there's anything they can do beyond what they've done every other year, which is try and find them the right mix, sign the best guys they could find that fit the bill for them and you know, see what they can do. They've been good at picking guys up mid-season. You know, Dave Dabrowski never rests. Even now, he's thinking. He's not doing anything, but he is thinking. <laughs> he's just sitting, staring out the window, thinking. He's got his, you know, long winter's cap on, his thinking cap. And he's just, yeah, he's formulating new ways for the Phillies to, to dominate. And that comforts me. That, yes. That comforts to know that he is endlessly thinking about that. That's nice. Yeah, I think Pat Gillick used to talk about that, where he would he would be like, "Yeah, you know, you need you need your your Joe Blantons. You need your your guys who you don't expect to be a hero to play the hero. Even just one night, even just one Cody Ransom home run makes you know it make makes the season go a little better when you get a big contribution from a guy playing a small role. So. That's where some of those stories start with the list of non-roster invitees heading down to spring training. So now we all know them a little better. And when we are all watching every inning of every game in Clearwater this spring, we're all going to feel so smart watching all of these guys who would have otherwise been strangers. So, all right. Now, moving along. Also this week, we had a story from Alex Coffey of The Inquirer on Philly's assistant general manager, Ani Kalambi. Uh... The thing that stood out about this story, which was about, uh, again, a Phillies assistant GM who came from the Rays organization, which, like, hey, um, always, again, always something that gets the sticker of approval is uh, this guy came from the Rays and now he's here. And you're like, wow. So exciting. Yeah, this is yeah, this is like this is huge. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me about this story, because you know it was a it was about him, and it's a very well written story. I encourage everyone to to read Alex's work. Um, but the thing that really jumped out to me was the idea less about like oh this is what the Phillies are doing, this is like the 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 statistic uh, data that they are capitalizing on or that they're recording. They're doing this new thing in this new way. Um, it wasn't so much that it was more the idea of communication from the data. An, an analysis department uh, and because because Alex talks about how Columbia and his team the the way they communicate with coaches and players plays a big role in how the strategies and adjustments they suggest based on the numbers they're looking at get adopted or if they get adopted at all because I you know there are plenty of times when the data guy has come up to a player or communicated in some way to the players through someone else that Hey, you know, if you do this, if you try this, if we experiment with this, if we start this guy, if we use this guy in this spot, 
you know, we can really benefit from that. And, you know, you kind of get shrugged off or hand waved away, I think, in a lot of those cases. And, you know, fair enough. Like what what seasoned manager is going to be like, oh, yeah, this this guy I've never talked to sent me a memo saying I need to do something. I need to run my team a little differently today. There's a lot of egos involved. So, you know, players don't always want to hear from somebody who's not a baseball player what adjustments they could be making. It's it's something that became, I think, very common throughout this uh, more modern era since like 2010 when the um, uh, sabermetrics debate was really in full swing. So that really jumped out to me that uh, that Coffee wrote, to implement an outside-the-box suggestion, people need to trust you. People need to trust you as a person, and people need to trust that you really listen to what they have to say. Those personal relationships are the foundation for getting anything done. And Ani is awesome at all of that. That was a quote being quoted was a former colleague of his, Will Cousins, the uh, Array's VP. Um, it's also written, he soaked in as much knowledge as he could with the Rays. He learned how to earn a coach's trust, how to make objective decisions, how to build and lead a department and everything in between. But with the Phillies, he had an opportunity to put all of that experience to the test. He had an opportunity to build something that endured. In the two years since he was hired, he has done just that. The Phillies have nearly doubled the size of their R&D department. They've changed the way they evaluate and project player performance. They have more data at their disposal than ever before, and their departments are working more collaboratively to better use it. That's all very encouraging. Yes. But like I said, it and like many have said now, you we have seen plenty of examples of the flaws that an R&D department can can have with a baseball team we have seen plenty of managers who just go by the numbers strictly and the downfalls that have occurred because of that and that's what i mean having having this data is is step one it becomes a tool that can be used it's not the tool you use for every job because not every tool is the tool for every job but it sounds like more importantly than having this data the phillies have gotten smarter about how they're using it and, like I said, how they're communicating that data from the R&D department to the players who are supposed to execute it on the field. And that, to me, is, is more important um, than anything. Like, so that, that step two is even more critical than, I think, accruing the data. Like, anybody can accrue data, but being able to use it is, oh, I feel, a, a whole other phase of that skill. Yeah, it was really encouraging to read about what the Phillies now value in their employees and their leaders and it's and it's that it's a person who's willing to listen to collaborate and they seem to realize that the only the you know the the brain trust at the top realizes that the only way for their organization to be at its best is if everyone works together you know and they have to like that's that is the only way that it works like the best teams in the league the ones that make the playoffs are the ones where everything's working together because everyone trusts each other and that's <clears throat> excuse me that's the feeling i get from the phillies now sort of all the time like the phillies as a group as a team seem they seem open to bringing other people into their circle you know when you look at the clubhouse and I'm glad to see that this guy is, you know, met, you know, meshing with that and that the Phillies were open enough to have this, you know, they were happy enough with what he's done to allow this article to be written about him at least and, you know, allow other people from the organization 
to talk about him. Yeah, because according to the article, he does not seek the spotlight and did not was not even really interested in being interviewed for the story, which, you know, again, tells you tells you some more. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's been a long, slow process of learning just where the Phillies land when it comes to analytics. And it wasn't too long ago that they were dead last. Wasn't too long ago that they laughed off the idea of having the kind of department we're, we're talking about. Then they built one and it was expanded and then it was shrunk down, I believe, in like 2020. They cut a bunch of people. Um, and we also, like I said, have seen the flaws of managers who relied too heavily on it. But, you know, it was more about execution than anything else. And that's why it's that's why it's so encouraging to see stories like this where they're, they're saying like, yeah, no, we're focusing very much on the communication uh, aspect of having this data, which is a huge part of it. So very good story. Again, uh, head on over to the Inquirer to read Alex Coffey's story um, on that. And uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth a read, I would say. Uh, Liz, before we finish up here, um, you know, I felt like it was at least worth mentioning before we, we uh, wrapped up that uh, in the latest round of sports media guttings, Sports Illustrated is now cutting i don't know how many how many writers like all of their writers essentially um basically bringing an end to the era of sports illustrated that was pretty much already over it was definitely more of just like a content farm in a lot of respects Mm. uh but but it seems like anything that was writing is now gone at sports illustrated more in a much more formal capacity as they became the latest sports media outlet to uh yeah absolutely shred their roster of writers so there's a lot of there was already a lot of un- skilled, unemployed sports writers out there, and now there's a bunch more. Just feels like a daily occurrence yep. at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a bummer, but I at least wanted to extend sympathies and regrets yes, about that same. situation. Yeah. But uh, that being said, there is precious little time until pitchers and catchers report. I think there's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think there's like 70 about days until opening day. No, thank God. Uh, I know that season ticket holders got emails about having to uh, get their opening day tickets, which, by the way, you have to, like, buy opening day tickets as part of a three-pack, so you can't just have opening day tickets or something. You have to have tickets to three games. It's it's a perfect system. They know how to get you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, as the snow falls, we warm ourselves with thoughts of springtime And hopefully the Phillies will do something to spur those thoughts even further in the days ahead. When they do, head to billypen.com slash season. You will find writing and podcasting that uh, breaks down whatever moves the Phillies make. So uh, head there to see our commentary and listen to our new episodes of Hidden Season all winter long. And don't forget to head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash season for access to bonus Phillies content, uh, as well as vote for Hidden Season at the Sports Podcast Awards. Click the link uh, of the pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter profile, at Justin underscore Clue, and you will head to the Sports Podcast Awards page for Best Baseball Podcast. You can vote for us. We are a finalist, Hidden Season, in the Best Baseball Podcast Award at the Sports Podcast Awards. So thank you for your support. From WHYY and Billy Penn, happy 50th birthday to Amari Telemaco. And also, I'm Justin Clue. <laughs> and I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hidden Season.